welcome back to Success Made, Made to Last Legend Show. I'm Rick Tokini. We appreciate you joining us again for another great program. Today's program is brought to you by Ever Jones Financial Advisors, as well as Heather Barnes Media and Play Audio. We have a very special guest today. It's Sharice Notcarney. You know, we're going to answer today's question of what do eBay, Amazon, and Alibaba have in common? These are all giant online marketplaces that are modern monopolies in their markets. If you don't know those three names, then you must be on the planet Mars. That's all we can figure out. Online marketplaces are notoriously challenging uh, to get off the ground because of the chicken or the egg problem that they face in creating a two-sided marketplace. However, once they gain critical mass, they accrue tremendous network effects that make their growth unstoppable. And that's what Sharice has studied. That's what his book, Winner Takes All, is about. Sharice, welcome to Success Made to Last Legends. Good morning, Rick. Great to be with you. It's really wonderful to have you on. And I didn't read uh, much about your bio because I want you to share your backstory with us. You bet. So I'm a native of uh, Seattle. Um I came to the United States as an immigrant uh, when I was uh, 20 years old uh, with $25 in my pocket. I was fortunate to have uh, received a great education, first at the uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and then at Harvard Business School, and also work at some great companies like Microsoft and BlackBerry. Um, in the year uh, 1999, I pursued a career as a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, started multiple companies, had successful exits. Uh, you may um, remember uh, BlackBerry. Oh, yes. In the uh, it was the device to uh, own. Uh, my company was acquired by, by BlackBerry, and we built the BlackBerry Internet email technology mm. that um, was used by over 50 million BlackBerry users in its prime. Including President Obama. Yes. Yeah. And, and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of users. Lots of users. A lot of Democratic users. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so you also have, you were the co-founder of Live Mocha, yes. the world's largest language learning site. That is significant. In our estimation, maybe even more significant than BlackBerry. Yes, I mean, uh, we reached, uh, uh, as I mentioned, 15 million members across 200 different countries. Uh, it's, it's amazing uh, because um, in other countries, you know, learning English can change people's lives. It can, you know, lift people out of poverty and, and allow them to seek jobs that otherwise they may not have access to. Uh, and uh, on a much higher, you know, standard of living. Absolutely. And uh, then prior to uh, Live Mocha, you mentioned you've done work with other companies. Tell us about Team On Systems. So Team On Systems, uh, you know, um, uh, happened uh, in the early days of uh, mobile phones. Uh, this was when uh, 
phones finally uh, were more than just voice devices, but also data devices. Uh, and BlackBerry was getting started. Uh, we had built uh, some really pioneering uh, email uh, technology for mobile devices uh, so that you could access any of your email accounts uh, through our technology on your mobile phone. Ultimately, the company was acquired by BlackBerry. And as I mentioned, uh, we powered the technology behind BlackBerry Internet Email. Mm. You obviously are very qualified to have written this book, Winner Takes All. And I think you're part of that title. It's Sharice Takes All, too, because you've experienced some great success and and you're worthy of that, obviously. And congratulations on that. Thank you. How did you decide to study the companies that you decided? Because they're not all unicorns or they're, they probably all had some different um, variables to them. What what made you what, what was so attractive to these particular companies that you profiled? Um, yeah, most of the companies I profiled are in the category of winner takes all, uh, which is the theme of my book. Um, essentially, uh, you know, my thought, my hypothesis is that uh, once uh, you get your marketplace off the ground, which can be a very tough proposition because of the chicken or the egg problem, once you have critical mass of suppliers and consumers um, and you're first to market, uh, then very quickly you can have a virtuous flywheel going uh, where more suppliers join your marketplace because there are more consumers, more consumers join because there's a variety of suppliers and becomes a virtuous cycle that ends up, you know, with a winner-take-all, a winner-take-most type of scenario. That's right. It is winner-take-most. Hey, for those that have never heard the term flywheel, throw that definition at us. Uh, it's a mechanical device uh, that spins, um, you know, round and round uh, to create energy uh, to um, power, uh, you know, some kind of an engine. Okay. And you use it and it's used throughout uh, uh, the parlance of startups today. Yes. And so uh, how is it best used and and uh, make sure that our listening audience doesn't misuse the word flywheel. Uh, you know, basically, uh, I've used the word flywheel to connote that it's a virtuous cycle where, you know, uh, as it starts spinning, it spins faster and faster. And you basically accrue all the benefit from that flywheel. Very good. Hey, throughout your book, I was intrigued by references that you made, and I can tell that you are an amalgamation of a bunch of mentors. Plus, I can also tell that you are a mentor and a teacher. Mm -hmm. And you make mention of Andresen Horowitz. Tell me about um, the Horowitz influence on you. Um, yeah, so Ben Horowitz, uh, Andresen Horowitz is a very famous uh, VC firm. Um, uh, Mark Anderson, as you may know, was the founder of Netscape and he uh, invented the uh, Netscape browser. Uh, and then Ben Horowitz was his uh, business partner. Sorry about that. I'll yeah, that and yeah, that that makes sense. And I think you were you mentioned him on specifically. It's you're talking about the evolution of marketplaces and uh 
for yourself, Sharice, tell us about maybe one or two of your favorite mentors in life that have shaped how you think as an entrepreneur and now even as an author. Yeah, I've, over time, I modeled my behavior over certain leaders um, that I've you know worked with. Uh, I've had the the good fortune to uh, I've worked with uh, some really key technology pioneers, including you know Bill Gates uh, at Microsoft and I was at Microsoft, and then with the uh, founder of BlackBerry, Michael Asvidas. Uh You may have seen I don't know if you've seen the the, the recent movie called BlackBerry, which kind of uh, uh, goes to their founding of BlackBerry and some of the challenges that they faced. But yeah, they were some of the uh, mentors uh, for me because they were entrepreneurs, successful, very successful entrepreneurs that had a vision and a passion to pursue that vision. Mm, very good. Those uh, particular names that you just mentioned also happen to have speed associated with them and knowing how to scale companies. If someone were to pick up this book today, and I'm definitely recommending it, Winner Takes All, how do you think that they will take these case studies and what can they take as a startup, small startup, maybe as even as a solopreneur, about some of those principles to take forward to help scale their company? Yeah, so first of all, what I um, encourage people to do is to, uh, as they think about their startup idea, is to think about, uh, instead of, you know, creating just a product or an e-commerce site is to see if we can build a marketplace because I think marketplaces can become much, much bigger mm -hmm. and we don't have the uh, issues of holding inventory and so forth. You know, your suppliers provide that uh, for you. Uh, so one uh, point I make in the book is to really focus instead of building an e-commerce site on building a marketplace instead in the category that you're, you know, pursuing. Uh, and then secondly, um, I talk about uh, how to jumpstart a marketplace, which can be uh, really challenging. And I give examples of uh, companies like Instacart, for example, that the way that they jumpstarted their marketplace, uh, Instacart, as you know, is a grocery delivery service, uh, was they, um, the founder scraped the content off of Safeway's site uh, and then allowed people to order groceries from Safeway, even though Safeway was not an active participant on their on their website. And only once they had critical mass of consumers were they able to go to Safeway and say, look, we've been placing orders uh, for groceries on your site. Would you like to join our platform in an official capacity? Uh, same thing with DoorDash, which uh, you know took menus of restaurants in Palo Alto and made that available on their site and placed the orders themselves as opposed to transacting through their site. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are very clever things that founders have done that I discuss in the book to help you jumpstart that I think people should take uh, a close look at. Yeah, and I think that you you may have said it in so many words, but you take the concept of proof of concept to a different level because you just said, hey, we're already delivering. Why don't you get on the platform and, and expand? Mm -hmm. So. The way some of these work, folks, is that they decided to go out and discover it, their products as a solution, and then they pitched it to the big mm -hmm. guys. It wasn't backwards, right. was it? Correct. Yes. I mean, it's very difficult to imagine, you know, we have a startup called Instacart and uh, you don't even have funding and you go to Safeway and say, <laughs> you know, join that platform. <laughs> They're going to throw you out of the office. 
Um, That's right. They go, who are you and why are why you, you in front of me? Why are you wasting our time? Yeah, why are you why are you bothering me? I want you to unpack one of the companies that's in here. And I'm I'm not going to make you do more than that because I want people to buy your book. But I want you to unpack your story about Uber and give us some observations on why it worked, why it continues to work, especially as they've become more diversified. Yeah, uh, so Uber is a very interesting story. I mean, they um, started off as a, um, a marketplace to, um, to to hitch rides on limousines or uh, town cars. Um, and then Lyft uh, or Sidecar was uh, another company that pioneered the notion of, uh, you know, uh, 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 ride sharing where anybody could take their car and make that available on their platform. And so uh, Uber copied uh, that idea uh, and executed uh, better than some of the original, um, you know, uh, uh, folks who created that idea in the first place. And uh, they, um, they were able to, they were very, very aggressive. They were able to get past some of the taxi regulations in various cities and become a very successful uh, company. But as you know, they ran some problems uh, where they had to ultimately fire the CEO and, and now they're a much more stable company to work with. You bet. And they've diversified, haven't they? Yes. Making them even stronger. Yeah. When you read this book, folks, Winner Takes All, and again, it's from Sharice Nadkarni, you're going to learn more about that and some of the, the other intriguing stories. I love insightful stories, you know, stuff that you didn't know before. Yeah. And you, you go, well, maybe that was what the secret was, the, se the secret sauce. And, some, and I love the turning points that you, the inflection points that you bring out. So it was very well written. I appreciated it. And uh, tell our listening audience where they can uh, purchase this book. I think it's debuting now, if I'm not mistaken. And where might they get a signed autographed copy of this book? Uh, well, you, you can certainly purchase the book on, um, on Amazon. Um, unfortunately, there's no provision to uh, get a signed autographed copy. If you happen to live in Seattle and uh, would like to meet for coffee, I'd be happy to sign the book. Oh, very good. Very good. And give out your website, Sharice, uh, so people can know how to follow you and, and uh, learn more about you. Yeah, the website is uh, my name, shirishnatkarni.com. So S-H-I-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-K-A-R-N-I.com. Very good. And again, the book is Winner Takes All. And the subtitle is Case Studies in How Online Marketplaces Are Creating Modern Monopolies. I really appreciate the book. Okay, we're going to be right back after this quick commercial, and we'll talk some more with our special guest, on Legends Today, Sharish Nadkarni. To all my brand and marketing leaders out there, I want to let you in on a little something. Audio advertising is one of the most efficient ways to speak to your consumer. I mean, you hear me now, right? The best way to take advantage of audio is to find the right audio agency who can help you navigate all the ins and outs of digital broadcast and podcast advertising. And I found the perfect partner for you, and that's Play Audio Agency. Say it with me, Play Audio Agency. Play 
offer services that cover advertising and communication, audio branding, podcasting, original brand music, and more. Let them deliver an audio strategy that drives a deeper emotional connection to your consumer while you sit back and do the things that you love, like listening to my podcast. Hey, find them at playaudioagency.com to harness the power of sound for your brand. That's play, P-L-A-Y, audioagency.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Heather Barnes, food and product photographer and storyteller behind the lens. Our Austin-based team is all about visual solutions. For your brand, it's essential for your product to be memorable and have stickiness. Our clients like Ghirardelli, Tiff Streets, and Nottamoo choose our photography to develop positive associations with their brand. They call our work inspiring because it moves consumers into a relationship with their company. And we can do the same for you. Learn more today at heatherbarnes.com. Focused on you, your story, and your success with memorable photography garnished with love. We are back with Sharice, and uh, I told him before the show that we were going to ask him some deeper philosophical questions. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. Okay, good. So you've worked hard all your life, and uh, you've got this tremendous work ethic, and I know that that's gone into helping you be successful, but would you comment on why at this stage in your life you are providing us gifts like this significant book, because I think you moved over from success to significance with this. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm very passionate uh, about uh, helping entrepreneurs, helping startups. And uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so, I focus more of my energies on mentoring startup founders, investing in companies, and meet, you know, so I often meet with startup founders and uh, what I found was I was often getting the same kinds of questions or running, uh, um, I was finding the same kinds of issues cropping up and so forth. So that uh, prompted me to write my first book, which is called From Startup to Exit. And it's a, uh, um, a how-to guide for entrepreneurs on how to start, launch and scale and exit a startup. The second book, uh, Winner Takes All, um, is a little bit more focused and encourages people to think about, you know, in terms of the startup idea, you know, can you turn that into a marketplace? Because if you can, then that can be a huge business opportunity. So I, I uh, love sharing my insights, sharing my experiences and helping people. And writing a book is, you know, one of the ways I can get my message out to many more people than I can physically meet. You bet. Well, thank you for that. It, it is a great lesson for our listeners in how to move from success to significance. Let's talk about Congress. This is my governmental philosophical question of the day. Why should Congress pass regulations on these monopolies that you write about to reduce unfair fees and eliminate self-preferencing and the like? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, uh, one of the, um, uh, uh, the consequences of uh, pursuing a marketplace is that many of them become monopolies. Um, and, uh, you know, that can uh, many times uh, create uh, situations of bad behavior, uh, which you mentioned, you know, 
example being self-preferencing. So Amazon, for example, has its uh, private label business uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for some time was um, uh, promoting those uh, products uh, instead of um, uh, other products. Same thing with Apple. Um, you know, if you search for music, you know, you might see Apple Music first before you see Spotify, even though Spotify is more popular uh, and well-liked, well-loved uh, music service. Um, so those are examples of bad behavior that I think Congress uh, or FTC have to uh, look at and say, how can we prevent that? How can we make this a level playing field, even though it's a monopoly? Yeah, you bet. Another thing is that came up was about marketplaces in general and ecosystems that are being formed. Why, why are marketplaces destined to become monopolies? So one of the phenomena that uh, takes place um, with marketplaces, once you have critical mass, is the notion of, uh, of network effects. If you're familiar with that concept, um, you know, uh, what happens is that uh, there's this, again, I use the term virtuous uh, flywheel effect where uh, more suppliers join the platform uh, because there are lots of consumers. Consumers join the platform because there are lots of suppliers. And it becomes a virtuous flywheel that spins faster and faster until you become a monopoly. And a good example of that is Amazon uh, versus Walmart. Um, you know, Walmart has struggled to really compete with uh, Amazon uh, as a marketplace. Uh, today, Walmart probably has you know 50,000 or so suppliers, third-party suppliers, whereas Amazon has over 2 million third-party suppliers. Well, guess what? You know, you're going to spend time looking for products on Amazon because you have much more choice on Amazon versus Walmart. And uh, it's very difficult for Walmart to attract more suppliers because it takes time and energy to be on each platform. Um, so uh, if you have to, if I'm a supplier, uh, I'm doing well on Amazon, I'm incentive to stick with Amazon as opposed to, to diverting my focus and trying to be on multiple platforms at the same time. That's right. I'll add to that, that as a business owner and publisher, the fewest moving parts in a company are the best. And then if you, if we have increasing volume and profitability through Amazon and some of these other systems are tough to break into, or they've made it tough, then there's also a reason why these monopolies are being formed. Mm -hmm. It's easiest to work with and fewest moving parts from a, Entrepreneur's perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, I want to ask you why you are never going to retire. Mm -hmm. Well, um, as I mentioned, I have a passion for entrepreneurship. Uh, I have a passion to learn new things. Um, even though I'm quote unquote semi retired, uh, I can never see myself um, just sitting back and, you know, reading a book. Uh, though I love reading, um, um, I, I just find it much more fascinating to learn about technology, learn about new startups, meet new founders, uh, help them. And uh, in return, I hope to grow as an individual to continue to do that even as I get into my older years. Oh, very good. I, I love that and appreciate that. And I want to know... Uh, Inside your mentoring, and you don't have to name names, but I'd love for you to cite a couple of examples of some of your mentoring collaborations 
that you're most proud of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and a, a good example of that is a company called Ally.io that was founded in, in uh, Seattle. Uh, the um, entrepreneur that I mentored there um, is a successful entrepreneur. I've mentored him over, over a decade. And with his most recent company, I uh, was very pleased to see that he had a substantial exit with Microsoft. And uh, he's done really, really well. And I continued to meet with him. And I hope that uh, eventually he'll start a new company and that I'll be able to continue working with him. That's right. That ought to be the beginning of your next book called Ripple Effects, because that's <laughs> what your your great mentoring does for others, I think. Yeah. Um. While you are busy mentoring and probably advising boards and all of that, I've, I've got to wonder about your life behind the scenes and your balance, et cetera. And there's a, a country Western song that's played here in Austin all too often. It's, it's a George Strait song. It's, it goes like, uh, there's a difference in living and living well. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's the difference for you now between living and living well? Living well means, um, one, having good health. I think especially as you get older, um, you know, continue to have good health is uh, mm -hmm. is uh, very important, which means that you have to take care of your mind and body. Uh, and then uh, pursuing interests that really keep you occupied, uh, you know, allow you to grow, continue to grow as an individual. So that's what I, I do. I... Um, in terms of my my body, uh, you know, I uh, and mind, I um, I work out, I play tennis, I uh, meditate with my wife um, every day, go for long walks, and then I spend the rest of my time uh, either writing a book or mentoring um, uh, other startup founders. And I can't imagine life better lived than that. Oh man, do you journal? Uh, I don't uh, journal, but I uh, uh, wish I had done that. Uh, I, so I could have, you know, my I have had a fortunate, I've been very fortunate to have had a very interesting life and to have lived in interesting times. Um, you know, I've, I've lived through the PC revolution, then internet, then mobile, you know, cloud, and now AI. Uh, so I've been very fortunate to have lived through those times. I wish I had journaled as, as a young person. And it would have been nice uh, to share that with people. But I've, yeah. I've done as much as I could with my. I've been I've been journaling I've more lately because of my uh, two grandchildren, and I write them letters and make observations on life. I'll probably write them about my interview with you, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. and I'll send them the link to it for them to listen to it someday. But um, mm -hmm. through meditation which I still haven't got my arms around, even though everybody talks about it. I'm, I think I'm maybe meditating through journaling and I'm starting to have epiphanies. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if, what's your latest epiphany? Um, latest epiphany? Epi an epiphany, yes, sir. An aha moment for you. I would say, um, you know, that, the aha moment I have had is uh, the power of, of mind over body. And, uh, you know, I um, have some health issues with my stomach 
uh, which can be uh, which affect my quality of life. Hmm. Uh, but I've discovered this uh, through meditation, and there was a new app that I came across called Nerva. Nerva. N yeah, Nerva. N e r v a. What does it do for you? Uh, it's a type of it's a type of focus meditation, um, and they talk about the mind gut connection, and I found that to be quite helpful in kind of calming down my thinking and my mind, and therefore my body. And so the I guess one epiphany is is basically that you know the mind can have a substantial impact on your body. And you need to train your mind to affect the body in a more positive way. Can it work on me? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's designed for a very specific uh, uh, ailment, which is IBS. So mm, if you have I that see. problem, then I certainly encourage you to try it out. I don't, but I've we've had several guests on who've recently neurologists, as a matter of fact, who've talked about the connection of the gut and the mind, and when they mm. say, "I feel it." In my gut, this neurologist said, it's not only a feeling, but the two are connected. Yes, exactly. Is that and part they, of what they, you've learned also? Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, they refer to the gut as your second brain. Wow, I've got a nice size brain down there then. <laughs> that is that is so interesting. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, we love having you on the show and you know what? You don't have to have written a book to come back on. I, I really want you to come back on and just share your, what's the latest and greatest in your journey. And uh, I sense that you've got a, a whole lot more to tell us. I guess I'm going to, I'll wrap up with my Ricky curious question of the day. What led you to live mocha? Because it seems to me that, that may be one of those incredible, significant milestone moments for you. I just want to know that backstory and maybe perhaps that will inspire our listeners to go out and do something that significant. Yeah, uh, there, there is actually an interesting backstory with Limoka, um, which is a, which was a language learning site. Um, and um, uh, it, it came about because... Uh, uh, I was traveling in Spain with my family, uh, my my teenage kids, and we got lost. And at that time, this was in uh, 2006 timeframe. Uh, most people in Europe did not speak English very well. Now, of course, when you travel to Europe, most people can speak English. Mm -hmm. uh, but at that time, that was not the case. And and so um, I was at the gas station trying to find directions, and and uh, nobody understood English. So I turned to my kids and I said, "Hey, you've been." learning Spanish for a few years, uh, can you help me kind of talk to these people in, in, in Spanish and help me uh, find a, you know my way back to the hotel? And unfortunately, neither of my kids could speak a word of Spanish, even though they were learning Spanish in, in middle school. And so that led me to the revelation, which was that... Um, a lot of language learning that happens in schools um, in the United States is book learning. Um, and people uh, don't really uh, know how to speak the language. It's very different from learning a language through books and classroom education versus actually going out there and speaking a language with native speakers. And so um, 
I saw an opportunity to create a language learning site that combined language instruction with practice with native speakers. And what better platform than the internet to connect people around the world. So that was kind of the inspiration behind LimeWoka. Yeah, that is beautiful, beautiful. And what a difference it's made and continues to make. I just think that that's a, what a classic case study there. Sharice, thank you so much for being on. Uh, you're a good guy. And I, uh, while we love your book a lot, I think we like you more, the, the personality behind the book. So way to go. Thank you very much. You're very kind. You bet. That was uh, our special guest on Legends, Sharice Nadkarni. And uh, as we wrap it up, folks, we wish you a successful life, but on your way to significance. Have a great week.